by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. We're privileged to serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings for Sunday worship to help you prepare, to help get us in mind for the words that we will hear and meditate upon. Today we're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter. Pastor, we're still in the Easter season, and yet our readings are making a shift away from the resurrection appearances of Jesus. We're making a shift to kind of a pre-Pentecost time, and our gospel readings now, uh, till the end of the Easter season, will focus on the upper room discourse. Sometimes uh, a portion of that is referred to as the high priestly prayer. We're going to get to uh, the specifics when we look at John chapter 16 a little bit later on in our program. But just a few thoughts on the shift of focus and shift of emphasis as we move through this uh, 50-day season of Easter. Yeah, it all kind of uh, is one event in the eyes of the gospel writers uh, and uh, of the apostles and even of the church. And we always uh, see this already in the resurrection account in John's gospel where uh, when Jesus is first seen alive by the women uh, outside the tomb, um, they grab a hold of him out of joy and he says, "Um, don't hold on to me yet for I have not ascended to my father or your father. And so uh, already at the moment of the resurrection, Jesus is already starting to prepare them for his ascension uh, and the work of the church that comes after that at Pentecost, the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. And so all these things are really one event in the eyes of the church. Okay, well said, well said. Also, I don't know that we've touched on this uh, either uh, in our at home in the hymnal program where we have a a special focus, one whole episode on the season of Easter and looking uh, in detail at the readings for the ascension of our Lord. But during this fourth Sunday of Easter, or during this season of Easter, you may notice liturgically that there is uh, something missing in our propers. There is no gradual during this time of the year. Um, Some churches use a substitute for the gradual called the terse, and we don't have that printed out for us on our inserts, but that is one thing you may notice as you come into God's house during this special season of the year as well. 
And part of that is is that um, uh, some churches also use an Alleluia uh, before the gospel lesson, and during the season of Easter, the Alleluia is expanded and larger than normal, and uh, and so that kind of helps make up for that as well. Okay, good, good. Our introit are selected verses from Psalm 66. Vicar, take it away. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Alleluia. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Alleluia. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? Okay. This uh, fourth Sunday of Easter is Jubilate Sunday. And Jubilate, you might uh, think of our English words jubilant or jubilation. This is joy. And we are shouting for joy to God. Uh, We're calling all the earth to shout for joy. Sing the glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. A few words on that word glory, that kavod word from the Old Testament. Um, What is the glory of God or the glory of his name? Well, the glory of God is uh, this idea that when one sees God, he kind of has this aura about him that uh, sinners cannot be in uh, but uh, without the forgiveness of sins. And then when they are uh, in the forgiveness of sins and they see God, uh, there's a, a joy and a happiness and a thanksgiving that uh, comes about from being in the presence of God. We see this perhaps in uh, the appearance of angels speaking to people. For example, um, when uh, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, uh, all the, uh, the, fir- the first thing that Mary says is, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, it says she's troubled at seeing the angel. Or when uh, uh, Isaiah goes into heaven, uh, he says, woe to me, a sinful man. And it's not until their sins are forgiven or the word of peace of God is spoken to them uh, that then they feel the joy of being in the presence of God. You talk about the presence of God. Uh, Vicar, a lot of times in the Old Testament, this kavod or glory word is used with regard to a cloud that fills the temple. The glory of the Lord was among them. The glory, the kavod of God was uh, visibly present in this cloud. How does that connect us today with that glory of God, that kavod or presence of God when we come into the divine service now? When we come into the divine service now, we might not see the glory of God uh, shown in a cloud by day or a pillow of fire by night, but we see the glory of God being revealed to us through his word and sacraments. Each and every time his word is spoken in his truth and purity, there God's glory is with it. Each and every time the Lord's Supper is prepared for us, there Christ gives us or manifest to us his glory by forgiving our sins. The same with the baptismal font. When a child or an adult or whatever is baptized, there the glory of God is forgiving sin so that he welcomes them into his church, making them into his very own children. So what is so often missed then, as uh, both Pastor Moline and Vicar have well stated for us, is this glory of God is a real presence word. God is really 
present among his people. He is really present among us in word and sacrament. And I think so often uh, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ miss out on this real presence. They see God as a far away God. They see God as uh, disconnected or detached from the real activities of life. And I have to ascend to him with my spirit or my soul and that God is incapable or impotent with regard to coming to me. And that could not be farther from the truth. Our God is a God who is really present, as we say in Psalm 46, an ever-present help in time of trouble. In the next line in our introit, Pastor, it says, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Uh, what's the deal with this? Is uh, God, Does God's ego need to be stroked? Is, uh, is God uh, lacking in self-esteem that we have to tell him how great he is or how uh, a word that's used twice in our intro, awesome. Oh, God, you're awesome, man. Uh, w- what's going on here with regard to this uh, command and encouragement to tell God that his deeds are awesome? It's not so much that God uh, has an ego that needs to be stroked or uh, uh, even uh, a personality needs to be told how great he is like uh, sometimes we sinful people are. Uh, God doesn't have that. He's perfect. But rather, God delights in the truth. And uh, and so when we say to God, uh, how awesome are your deeds, it's an acknowledgement by us of what the truth is, uh, that God is an amazing God, that God is a powerful God, that there's no other God beside him, uh, and how unique and awesome that reality of who he is um, really is. And so it's not that God needs it. It's rather for us that we acknowledge the truth about who God is. Unless we think God's deeds are awesome, we can't tell him that his deeds are awesome. And so uh, God delighting in the truth, holding up the truths of God and the promises of God to him, this is a, a great and awesome thing. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Now, we've already established that God doesn't need to be told how great his power is. We are acknowledging it. Vicar, what kind of enemies are we talking about that come cringing to God? These are the enemies that we face each and every day of sin, death, and the devil. Uh, all of which who have been totally conquered by Christ and his victory over sin, death, and the devil by dying and by rising again to new life. And But while we are here in this world, these are still present enemies of ours, and they will be until that great and glorious day when Christ comes again, and all these things will bow down before him, cringing in fear, I would add. The devil, the world, and our flesh, that unholy trinity, we often refer to these as the uh, enemies that are attacking us. Pastor, is it possible that in addition to these uh, enemies, the devil, the world, and our flesh that are attacking the faith, that are attacking Christians, that are attacking God, that sometimes people, we, become the enemies of God? I'd say that falls under our own sinful flesh, and so yes, definitely, uh, there are those people out there who do not like God, who in fact hate God and seek to have him removed uh, or destroyed. Uh, In fact, those people oftentimes are kind of violent and uh, set in their ways, uh, and they don't have a live-and-let-live attitude, in fact. Um, They they want God just removed, and these are the people that... uh, um, get all bent out of shape or crazy if, um, you know, you wear a 
a Christian T-shirt in a public place uh, or or whatnot. They don't want the um, free exercise of religion to be extended to Christians, uh, but rather only to those who don't believe in God. It is uh, it is amazing to me how people at one time can profess, at least verbally, to be a Christian, and that at the same time say and do things that are so contrary to the Word of God. That is that, uh, uh, that dual nature, that irony, and I think people don't often connect the dots with regard to that. Come and see what the Lord has done, how awesome, it, how He is awesome in His deeds toward the children of men. God is not just great and awesome in the abstract. What God does, he does for us. Vicar, what are we talking about when we're talking about the deeds, the awesome deeds that God has done to or toward people, children of men? Well, in the Old Testament, of course, we go back to uh, the Passover and how God delivered the children of Israel. Israel from slavery in Egypt and allowed them to go into the good promised land, how he helped them to conquer that promised land, and how even when they sinned over and over and over again, falling away from God, he continually sent people to them to preach his word and draw them back towards himself. And of course, today, when we think about the great and awesome deeds of the Lord, we're going right back to Jesus, the Son of God, and what he has done for us, how he lived, died, and rose again for us and for our salvation. Pastor, in the time that we have left, that uh, line toward the end, uh, we bless God because he has kept our soul among the living. During this Easter season, what does that mean? Well, it's the... uh promise that because Christ is raised from the dead and is the first fruits of them that slept, uh, that we also will follow after. Uh, if Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, will he not certainly take us to be with him so that where he is, or the way he says it, where I am, uh, name of God there, where I am, you may be also. And that's the reality uh, of Easter. Jesus has raised And so one day we too also shall live. And for that reason, we are filled with joy, joy in the resurrection, joy in our forgiveness, life, and salvation, and joy that comes only from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But in the midst of this, we suffer. How long? We'll address that when we come back. We'll take a look at the gospel reading for the fourth Sunday of Easter, John 16, 16 to 22. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
strife is o'er, the battle is done. Christ is victorious over sin, death, and the grave. I can't think of a better reason to shout for joy all the earth. Jesus, who was dead, is now lives and reigns forever and ever and ever and ever. We are taking a look at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter, Jubilate Sunday. And now in this segment, we're going to take a look at our gospel reading John 16, 16 to 22. I would assume that since we are Christians, since we believe in Jesus, since Christ is risen from the dead, all of our problems go away. Our life is just peaches and cream, frosting and cake, and we have no trouble, no problems. Okay, Vicar, John 16. Jesus said, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will see me. And again, a little while, and you will see see me no more. And because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Okay, there. the, the word joy is uh, repeated again and again and again during this uh section from John 16, 16 to 22, which is appropriate for Jubilate Sunday. But uh, there's another phrase that jumps out more. Seven times by my count in these verses, seven times the phrase, a little while, is uh, repeated. So we see that the disciples are uh, are good Lutherans because they say, what does this mean? <laughs> but a uh, little inside Lutheran catechism humor there. But uh, right off the bat, a little while you will see me, uh, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. A little while specifically to what he's talking about here in John 16. Set the stage for us because this is Monday, Thursday talk. And what is Jesus talking about specifically and historically? And then we'll unpack it with regard to what it means for us today. Pastor? Yeah, there's definitely a twofold meaning there. At the immediate um, to the hearing of the disciples meaning, is the fact that uh, in just a couple hours after he says these words, Jesus will be arrested, all the disciples will flee, 
Uh, Jesus will be uh, hanging on the cross by 9 o'clock the next morning, uh, and by 3 o'clock the next afternoon, Jesus will be dead, uh, and by sunset the next evening, Jesus will be laid into a tomb, and uh, the tomb sealed, the disciples will no longer see him, uh, and that'll be for, you know, the... Uh, the weekend, basically, and on Sunday morning, uh, then Jesus will rise from the dead and they will see him again at that point. Okay, so in the context here, he's talking about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And uh, the disciples are blinded to this, of course. They're blinded by their unbelief. They're blinded by the circumstances that are surrounding them. They'll be blinded by their grief. Jesus is encouraging them. But he's not only talking about Good Friday and that uh, time that he spends in the tomb. As you mentioned before, there is a double meaning to these words, this a little while phrase. You want to unpack that? Well, so then uh, it also speaks to the disciples and to us in the church then after. Uh, and so the idea is that Jesus resurrected uh, ascends into heaven. And at that point, we no longer see him. We go about in this world uh, and things are difficult and hard. But the promise is, is that in the end, we will see Jesus uh, when we die and leave this world. Spiritually, we'll see him. And then on the day of resurrection, bodily with our own eyes, uh, we'll see Jesus. Uh, and I think that especially is the point Christ is emphasizing because he says at that point, no one can take your joy from you. That's a promise of heaven, eternity, and the joy uh, that we'll have seeing Jesus face to face and being in God's peace and comfort forever. You know, in a, after you hear these words and the uh, words for the uh, fourth Sunday of Easter, in about 10 days or so, uh, we here at Good Shepherd and others will be celebrating the ascension of our Lord. Vicar, how do these words also talk to us with regard to the ascension? In a little while, you will not see me. And then in a little while, you will see me again. Yeah, so Jesus is going to be with the disciples for multiple days after his actual resurrection appeared to them uh, numerous different times. And then on the day of ascension, he will go into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, where he still rules yet to this day, filling all things and in all things. But we don't see him. We don't see Jesus bodily before us anymore. But the hope and promise is that when we die, as Pastor Moline said, we will see him and we will certainly see him again on the last day. The whole world will, believers and unbelievers, when he comes for the final judgment. But until then, we live not by sight, but by faith, faith which comes through the word of God and his sacraments. And I was just going to say, and here's where that kavod, that glory of God comes in. Even though we don't see him physically, he's here with us. Yep. He's here with us. Pastor. Yeah, these words are of Jesus are echoed by an angel on the day of ascension uh, who says, Why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so there that uh, promises for the age of the church. And I think the beautiful part about it is is that, as you mentioned earlier, the emphasis is on the fact that this is a little while. I know to our earthly lifetime, it doesn't seem like it's been a little while since Jesus died and ascended, uh, but it is in God's eyes. And it's a little while that the suffering of the church goes on until finally Christ brings it to an end and takes us to be with him. This text teaches us some perspective. You know, when we're waiting in line in the grocery store uh, to get our 
groceries checked out so we can pay. If we have to wait more than a minute, we're, uh, we're agitated, we're upset. Uh, we've already waited a little while. We want to move on. If we're in traffic and the uh, car in front of us is not moving as quickly as we want them to, or if they're a little slow reacting to the green light, we get agitated, we honk the horn, we may cut into other traffic uh, because we've waited a little while. And uh, that 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds seems like an eternity. This text teaches us perspective. A little while, God does not count time the same way we do, and he is teaching us to be patient, to be patient in the midst of our sufferings. This is maybe the most uh, difficult part of this because this is Jubilate Sunday. We're shouting for joy, all the world, because of what Christ has done. And then Jesus tells us in verse 21 of John 16, uh, no, excuse me, verse 20, truly, 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 I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn to joy. Now, we've got kind of a great reversal thing going on here, Pastor, but uh, what is Jesus teaching us in this twofold flip-flop thing with regard to sorrow and joy? Well, on the first point, uh, Jesus is teaching them that he's going to die on the cross and that um, they'll see that, or at least they'll hear about it. John sees it. The other disciples have all run away and hidden. Uh, and they'll be sad and weeping and lamenting at the fact that the one they thought was the Messiah uh, was killed. Uh, but that sorrow will turn to joy when Christ raises from the dead and appears to them uh, and uh, says, Peace be with you. And even uh, the first words that uh, Jesus says to Mary, Go and tell my brothers uh, that I have risen from the dead. This fact that now they are in the family of God is a result of the resurrection. And so that's the first meaning, that uh, they'll weep at the crucifixion and they'll rejoice at the resurrection. Uh, For the church, it means that uh, uh, we'll have that little while of sorrow where, uh, you know, pastors will be shot in the uh, chancel of the church. Uh, There's the priest that was murdered that way a couple years ago, and just a few months ago uh, there was another uh, pastor or priest who was stabbed up in the chancel while doing the uh, the divine service. Christians will be persecuted. Uh, ISIS crucified many Christians uh, and killed many. Um, we also have the persecution of the church from the early days. Uh, and in fact, the uh, most persecuted minority in the world right now uh, are Christians. Uh, and that's the reality we live in right now. We'll weep and we'll lament at the fact that uh, we're put through the ringer, I guess you could say, Uh, but that weeping and sorrow will turn to joy uh, when we leave this world behind, when Christ returns with trumpet sound uh, and every eye sees him and every knee bows, uh, that's when all will be made right. And the the world rejoices. You don't see this in the headlines when Christians are persecuted. Rarely do you, Uh, because in the last verse, verse 22, so also you will have sorrow now, uh, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. This is a promise, and sometimes it's hard for us to see the promise in the words, a little while. But a little while, that phrase implies that it will end. And it will end when Christ comes again in power and might and glory and destroys the world as we knows it, we, we knows it, as we know it, and uh, will create it anew 
for us for all eternity. Vicar, um, the, the, Jesus uses a little object lesson here, and I don't know that you and I have ever had this talk, but uh, you're a relatively new father. I don't know how, uh, what, how difficult your uh, wife's pregnancy or labor was, but it says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Uh, how how would you relate that in your own personal experience? Oh, that's certainly true. The 10 hours or so leading up to that was not fun, especially for Mama, but it also wasn't <laughs> fun for me. I thought she was going to snap my hand in half a couple of times. But as soon as that baby was there and being cleaned off, the smile was on her face, and she was totally relaxed again. All she wanted to do was hold her brand-new baby boy. And uh, it's a great picture that Christ has given to us about what our joy will be like after our suffering is over here in this world. I've had uh, many women tell me that uh, after their first child, they boldly proclaimed, never, ever, ever will I do this to myself again. And then three or four or five babies later, uh, the, uh, the joy of being a mom and the joy of that new life that God has allowed them to participate with bringing into this world swallows up that temporary pain, which was just for a little while. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 40. Part of it's uh, not so familiar, and part of it is very familiar. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Hallelujah. Christ is raised from the dead. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We serve here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln. Please join us for Divine Service, 8 and 1030 each Sunday morning, Bible study and Sunday school for all ages in between. You can listen live to all of our worship services, including our Wednesday evening service, 630 service on KNNALP. 95.7 The Cross. Check out our archives, uh, archives for not only our church services, but for all of the self-generated programs that we do here at Good Shepherd, including Proclaiming the One and At Home in Your Hymnal. In our first segment today, we looked at the introit, selected verses from Psalm 66. In our second segment, we looked at the Holy Gospel for the fourth Sunday of Easter, a little while, a little while. A little while, and how that is a great gospel promise for us. John sixteen sixteen to twenty two. 
Now in this uh, third segment, we want to take a look at our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 40, 25 to 31. Isaiah 40 is an awesome chapter. Uh, We normally think of Isaiah 40 during the season of Advent. Comfort, comfort ye my people, which is how the chapter starts out. But here's how the chapter ends. Vicar, Isaiah 40, 25 to 31. To whom then will you compare me? that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The last verses there have been the subject of many a contemporary Christian song or hymn. Some are not bad. Some are pretty pathetic. But uh, they do quote these scripture verses. And so for this reason, a lot of people, even non-Christians, are familiar with this particular word imagery with regard to mounting up on eagles' wings. Before we get to that... Pastor, set the stage a little bit in Isaiah 40. We have the first 39 chapters of Isaiah that are a unit, and then we have a definite shift in theology, a shift in voice, a shift in perspective, beginning in chapter 40. Some who hate and despise the Bible would even say that there are more than one Isaiah or more than one author. You might hear people talking about first Isaiah, second Isaiah, deutero Isaiah, tritero Isaiah. Beware of those people and those teachings. What is happening with this shift, and how did we get to this part of the book of Isaiah? Yeah, <clears throat> Isaiah is uh, kind of shifting voices here. He's focusing more on the coming Messiah. He's focusing more on the reality that's going to take place, uh, more prophetic in that regard. Um, and and that's kind of not to be unexpected. Lots of the prophets work this way. They kind of talk about more uh, current events, and then they have the section that does focus more on the future and the reality of uh, what's about to happen. And so you see that like at the end of Daniel, the last part is uh, quite different from the first part, where in the book of Ezekiel we have this vision of the heavenly temple, whereas the first part's kind of dealing with the prophecy of uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. And so it's not odd, uh, it's, it's a reality that happens in the book of the prophets. It's not a different person, it's not a different voice, if you will, it's rather just a different message, and it shouldn't be surprising that God has more than one thing to say to his people, uh, and, and so that's what's happening. And for Lutheran Christians, sometimes it's as simple as 
law and gospel. Uh, and it's not that the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are devoid of gospel uh, because it's dripping with gospel. But the primary focus is on judgment and the coming of the Lord, where I would say the primary focus of the last half of Isaiah, uh, while there's certainly law there, the primary focus is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a reference twice in our text, Isaiah 40, 25 to 31, with regard to creation. At first, it's a rhetorical question, and then again in verse 26, it is an outright proclamation. To whom then will you compare me, Isaiah 40, verse 25, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see who created these kind of reminds us of uh, the book of Job, where God says, <laughs> you know, were you around when I dug the hole for the oceans and put the stars in their spot? What's the point here, Vicar, with regard to making this comparison and this rhetorical question, basically saying, um, how, how many other gods out there can you compare me to who have actually created anything? Yeah, God here is basically shutting the mouths of his opponents or shutting the mouths of unbelievers saying, be quiet. The false gods that you're worshiping are just that, false gods. They can't speak, they can't walk, they can't do anything. It is I and I alone who have created everything and have set everything in motion, and it is by my might and greatness that these things have been done. Uh, so why are you saying to me that... Uh, why do I have to be accountable to God? And I think we're going to get into that in a second when Jacob and Israel say, "My way is hidden from the Lord." You uh, you said that you said that very well. He's shutting everybody's mouth. Um, you know, you go out and create something, then come back and we'll have a talk. Uh, th there is no one that can be compared to God, and most of the time, Christians today will immediately go to the cross and empty tomb. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But uh, the scriptures teach us that we can appeal to creation as well. And I think most Christians are afraid to, embarrassed to. We, uh, we're worried that the scientific community has somehow refuted the uh, eternal truths of the Bible. And that is nonsense. And we need to start uh, boldly confessing God as creator as well as redeemer and sanctifier. Pastor, uh, Vicar touched on this uh, just a little bit. The people are complaining to God. The people are complaining that, um, you know, why, why do you say, my way is hidden from the Lord, my, my right is disregarded by my God. What is the nature of their complaint with regard to God doesn't know what I'm doing? And what is another way to look at this with regard to the hiddenness of God that is a great theological truth? Well, uh, why is my way hidden from the Lord is the same thing. Why aren't you there when I want you to be there? Or why aren't you there when I think I need you, Lord? Which is a bad confession of faith to say that he's not there. The reality is is that he always is present. He is God with us. Again, the kavod of the Lord. That's right. Um, Emmanuel, God with us. And so that first part there is uh, just a bad confession of faith to say that God's not there. Uh, the second part, um, 
my right is disregarded by my God is a misunderstanding of what the right is. Uh, God chose these people called Abraham uh, and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, he gave the promise to Judah to be the uh, the one who the king would always reign from. And they think this is just some worldly thing. And so at the time of Isaiah, they see things starting to fall apart on the earthly kingdom of Israel and Judah. Uh, they're wondering, you know, didn't you promise God that we would be rulers forever? Didn't you promise we'd have this great, powerful kingdom? And they're missing the point of what the promise is really about. It's not about a worldly kingdom. It's about Jesus. And that's the promise, that Jesus would be the king who reigns forever, that Jesus would come from the tribe of Judah. And so they've missed the point in that regard, and therefore their faith is bad, and their confession of faith is bad. Okay, now the second part of my question that uh, I'm just going to throw it to Vicar. Uh, because you answer, you answered uh, the two parts here, you know, but but the, their complaint, God is hidden, and my right uh, is not known by God. How can we properly understand, Vicar, the hiddenness of God? We hear in the book of Hebrews that when Christ ascended into heaven, He then fills all things and is in all things. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent, and uh, that's good for us. God is always there. He's our constant help in need, as uh, we've talked about earlier. And also, it's good for us in a way because it reminds us or teaches us again, like what these people are doing here, of our sin. Uh, We want to say that, God, you're far from me. God, you're not here to help me. God, why won't you do this? And God has to remind us time and time again that he is with us. He does watch over us. And he's most clearly seen when we gather together in church or around God's word and hear his word spoken to us to remind us of these words and promises of God. And in that respect, God does hide himself. He hides himself in plain sight. He hides himself in the words of a pastor. He hides himself in bread and wine and water. And uh, he does this, and then he tells us where he can be found. And uh, so it shouldn't be a shock or a surprise to us. Oftentimes we get the you know, statement from people who don't understand theology very well. Uh, Why are you putting God in a box? You can't put God in a box, you know. Um, The reality is God himself put himself in a box. Deus absconditus, he first put himself in flesh uh, in the person of Jesus, and then he promised to be in word and in water and in bread and in wine. And those are the places he promises to be for us. And so that's the reality. God is hidden in those places but it's not like hide-and-seek. He tells you where he hid, uh, so you don't have to find him. The uh, The last part of our gospel, or, uh, Old Testament reading from Isaiah 40 here, it says, He, God, gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Is this a promise for now or for later? Pastor? Yes. <laughs> uh, it's okay, and and that's good. That's a good Lutheran answer. Now, now unpack it for us, please. Yeah, he he promises um, to be with us to strengthen our faith, and that's the same promise he gave to those people back then. Uh, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has new might, uh, he increases strength. He always does this in the same way through his word uh, and through his sacraments, and that promise is true for all time, for all people everywhere. There's not a different faith uh, for us Christians as there was for those in the ancient world. Uh, The faith is always the same, looking to Christ the Savior. And in that respect, we have much to rejoice in.
because the promises of God are real. They are sealed in the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and they are absolutely guaranteed by his victory over sin, death, and the grave and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. As Christ has been raised, so too will you be raised, my friend. Reason for shouting, reason for jubilation. So now, as Christians, how should we live? We'll tackle that topic with 1 Peter 2, 11 to 20. When we come back, don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter. In section one, we looked at the introit, Psalm 66. Section two, we looked at the gospel reading, John 16, 16 to 22. In segment three, we looked at the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 40, verses 25 to 31. And now, as uh, so often we encounter in the one-year series of readings, the epistle is a practical application of everything that we have learned so far. Uh, Some people would criticize the one-year series and say that uh, this is um, a a way to uh, hammer people with the law, that uh, this is uh, getting too preachy or something like this, but it's a legitimate question. Now that all this is true, Uh, I have absolute joy in the victory of Christ over sin, death, and the grave. I have absolute joy over the fact that Christ is with me. He will never leave me, forsake me, nor abandon me. In my absolute joy, there will come suffering, but there will be absolute joy at the end. So, in the meantime, how do I live? Vicar, 1 Peter 2, 11-20. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should, be, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, 
When you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What an awesome text for us to end with here, this uh, 1 Peter 2, 11 to 20, encouragement for suffering Christians. It is... Um, it is a reality that in this world, because the unholy trinity, the devil, the world, and even our own flesh are constantly attacking us and trying to tear us away from the faith. Suffering is real. We have the promise of Jesus himself in John 16 that this suffering is only for a little while. In verse 11, Pastor, uh, Peter calls the people that he is writing to, Beloved. What does this mean? Well, <clears throat> it's oftentimes the word that is used by the apostles in their later epistles um, as the term for Christians. And it's identifying them as those who are loved by God, loved in such a way that God gave his only son to die for them uh, so that they might live forever. Uh, I think John says it um, um, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiatory sacrifice for us. And so that title, Beloved, then, is kind of the first term for Christians. Um, they are the ones beloved by God. And, Vicar, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a passive word. This is not talking about our great love for God, but it is talking about something that we have received. Is that correct? I don't have my Greek right in front of me, but just by looking at it in the English, yes, it does seem like that. It's passive. It is something that is being done to us uh, without any worthiness in ourselves, just like a pastor quoted from uh, 1 John chapter 1. God loved us, not that we love God. It's a great gift that only we as Christians can boast in. So we're talking here about the passive righteousness of the Christian of the believer and this passive righteousness, the fact that we have lo been loved and received forgiveness, life, and salvation from the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. Now we, in turn, love God and serve our neighbors in Christ. Um, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, Pastor, the term sojourner and exile. What does this teach us about the life of a Christian and how we should not get too attached to the things of this world? Yeah, uh, the three words there are all describing the same people, Christians, beloved, sojourners, and exiles. I think uh, this kind of is the idea that that hymn uh, teaches us, uh, I'm but a stranger here, heaven is my home. Uh, and you know, there's, of course, some weaknesses with that idea, but the, the reality is is that we don't fit in this world. We don't belong here. We have a place that we're looking forward to being in the future, and right now we're kind of traveling through this world uh, till we get to that place. Um, I do not consider this present suffering worth comparing to the joy that awaits us there in heaven, uh, St. Paul says, and that's the idea. Here we suffer, but we're traveling through the valley of the shadow of death to enter into the um, the kingdom of God. Paul also teaches us that our citizenship is in heaven, and uh, I think uh, we, uh, as Christians, too often cling to the things of this world as if they are God, the gifts that God gives us. We turn into gods, and we forget that we are here on this earth 
but for a little while. I think that uh, teaches us that basic truth as well. And I think that that particular passage where Paul says that to the Philippians is uh, extremely important because the time Paul is saying that to the Philippians, the people that lived there are mostly uh, the next generation after the soldiers who fought in the Battle of Philippi. Uh, And so their parents had earned their citizenship by dying. Uh, 250,000 Romans died uh, in the fields of Philippi just a a few years before Paul writes these words. And so uh, rather than having a blood-bought citizenship of a Roman Empire that's going to run out when you die and won't mean anything then, Paul's saying you have a blood-bought citizenship uh, in heaven bought by Jesus that will never disappear or fade or, or hurt you. That is an excellent point. Thank you. Uh, It says, uh, beloved sojourners and exiles, um, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And then in the rest of the section here, he talks about various passions of the flesh that we should abstain from. I wish we had three more segments where we could go in great detail on each one of them. Uh, We're going to get kind of a flyby on this. But um, these passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. Vicar, what what is Peter talking about here? Because I think most people in our world would say, there is no war going on against my soul. This is hyperbole. This is a figment of the imagination. This is uh, God talk to try to scare you into behaving. What what is What is this war all about? Well, this is a very real war that uh, we entered into on the day that God baptized us into the church. He uh, washed away all of our sins, and so doing, he kind of painted a bullseye on our back. And now the, the world, our own sinful nature, and the devil are continually fighting against us, trying to take away that faith that God has worked in us. And uh, I think it's interesting to look here, the passions of the flesh. Normally when uh, we think of this, we might think of terms of sexual passions or something like that, but that doesn't show up here. Instead, the passions of the flesh that these people are being urged to stay away from is the passion of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, uh, to get even with those who persecute us. St. Peter's telling us no, but we are to endure suffering. And uh, when we're being treated like evildoers, to continue to love and do good to those who persecute us, uh, to show how God has first loved us. In verse 12, uh, Peter is telling uh, telling the Christians, the beloved, to uh, conduct yourselves among the Gentiles honorably so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Jesus says you're going to suffer for a little while, and then your suffering will be over. How does that connect with the day of visitation? What is Peter talking about? What day is that? Well, the the day of visitation um, that he's talking about there is the day when your your faith is going to have to be shown the most. And so 
in, in some ways for those early Christians, it's the day when their persecution will be fulfilled and then perhaps they'll face martyrdom. Uh, for some Christians, the day of visitation might be the last day of your life when you have grown old and die. For some Christians, that day of visitation will be when Christ returns and descends from heaven with trumpet. And so the day of visitation, what he's saying there is the last day for you uh, or whenever the time a person persecution arises for you? What is that day when your good deeds uh, will need to glorify God? That uh, day of visitation is uh, ripe with uh, so many images, and uh, you you did a, a good job in a short period of time of talking about all the different ways God visits his people. He's not a faraway God. He is with us. He takes care of us, and on the last day, he is coming back again in power and might and glory. Vicar, when we talked about the early verses of uh, Isaiah 40, you said that God was putting to silence all of his critics. Here in verse 15, it says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How are those two connected? Yeah, we're mirroring God in his goodness. And by doing that, we're shutting the mouths of people that want to rise up against us and uh, call us hypocrites, to call us evildoers, to point out our sin to our face. But then they're seeing that even though they're persecuting us so much we're still treating them in love and respect uh how can this be and that's shutting their mouths when our uh, mouths are open we're usually justifying our own sin or praising false gods or the primary false god me myself and i uh god's word puts us to silence puts us uh quiet so that we can hear the word of God. I know we're running out of time, Pastor, in this segment, but it says in verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. The, the understanding of Christian freedom and the warning Peter gives us here. Well, uh, with freedom comes great responsibility, right, says Spider-Man, or maybe that's with great uh, power comes great responsibility, and that's the reality. Uh, freedom uh, means, yes, you have this great freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and yet you still live a particular way in service towards God and in love towards neighbor, and that means that we don't do whatever we want whenever we want to, but rather we still seek to listen to God's word to fulfill what it means. And so God's word's clear, don't commit adultery, that means Uh, We don't commit adultery because that can hurt our faith. It can lead us away from the faith. Uh, God's word is clear, don't steal. Uh, That means we don't do that because it can hurt our faith. It doesn't, you know, Christ has died for all sins. It is forgiven, uh, and yet we live in that freedom, still uh, listening to our Lord's voice and still obeying it as best we can. Uh, And so there's that two-way street going in that particular thing. Isn't, isn't it amazing that the transformation that happens in the life of a Christian is that instead of finding joy in the lust of the flesh and the passions of this world, we find joy in the law of God. Ponder that, my friends. Vicar, would you bring things to a close by praying the collect for the fourth Sunday of Easter? Let us pray. Almighty God. You show those in error the light of your truth so that they may return to the way of righteousness. Grant faithfulness to all who are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's church, that they may avoid whatever is contrary to their confession and follow all such things as are pleasing to you. 
Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. This coming Sunday, get up, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. See you next week.